We built Plotwise in a private beta period. And then we opened a GA when we saw that initial loop working where we could acquire that user, bring them in, and it would spread virally. We didn't put in any sort of monetization or payment mechanism at that point. Fast forward almost two years after that launch, we had been pushing out monetization. The initial version, in retrospect, was just wrong. When we turned on monetization, we were really good at capturing the large organizations that already scaled. And we didn't pay attention to the new organizations that we were acquiring with paywalls. My name is Matt Martin. I am the co-founder and CEO of Clockwise. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. many goes to get right who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, pain. we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Matt Martin built the platform that optimizes your time using AI and your team's calendar. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Matt Martin has always been a computer nerd, even way back in elementary school, learning to use a Mac and HyperCard. In middle school, he discovered the internet and programming in HTML, and he was hooked. That said, he didn't grow up around tech folks and eventually got into public policy and went to law school. After being a litigator for a while, he decided to ditch the law industry, move to the Bay Area, and get into tech. Outside of tech, he's married with two-and-a-half-year-old twin girls. They live in downtown San Francisco, and they love to go on bike rides together. Matt considers himself a productivity nerd and is always looking for ways to improve his workflow. At a prior role, he was focusing on individual optimization of schedules. And what he realized is that time is not an individual problem, but a team problem to be solved. This is the creation story of Clockwise. Clockwise today is a calendar automation tool that helps everybody from individuals, you can use as a single user, to teams, to whole organizations, and it helps people get more time for their most important work. So we do this by connecting to your calendar, analyzing where there are inefficiencies, either, you know, classic for an engineer, you have like a 2 p.m. meeting, it's chunking up your afternoon where previously you would have had a meaty focus time block. We'll help identify those and then 
We'll help you resolve them. We look at all the attendees and we'll move them to better times that optimize for your schedule. We optimize for things like making sure you have time for lunch, you know, often overlooked, but very important. Making sure meetings are inside your working hours, even if you're across time zones, connecting your personal calendar, make sure things are blocked off, basically oriented at making sure that everybody has the best possible schedule for the priority work they have. The way that we got into this, I was working at a company called Relate IQ. It was building a smarter CRM. We were doing this by connecting to email to pull in insights about the deals you're working. I was sitting there as an engineering manager trying to help my team find more time for their work. A lot of people were bringing their work home with them. They were getting pulled in a lot of different directions. That's to say nothing of my schedule, especially post-acquisition, where I was interfacing with a lot of cross-functional leads. It was just difficult to find that time to do the work that you're hired to do. I started by working with them on you know, a lot of individually centered elements. You know, How are you using your time? How are you prioritizing your tasks? What I started to see was time has become inside of every modern organization, a shared asset. Everybody's asking me of my time in a myriad of different ways. The most obvious is through asking me to a meeting, but but even through pings on Slack, through comments and docs, through just conversations, the hallway, people are asking me of my time. And the way that we use that together, that's the problem that I really wanted to solve. We seek to connect to calendar and eventually other tool sets for to understand what is the shared space that you're working with other people in? What are the meetings? How are those organized? What do other people's schedules look like? And how can we optimize for everyone to make sure that they have the best time available? So let's dive into the MVP and maybe it's around, you know, the early idea with the defrag. Maybe you're going to settle into that and wrap some bones around it. But let's dive into that MVP. How long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? So Clockwise has an interesting initial problem that comes from that insight around personal versus shared time. And the problem is that for us to be able to improve your schedule, we really need to get wider adoption inside the organization so that we can look at everybody's schedule and help to optimize at that shared space level, to help to look across all those schedules, all those unstated preferences, and be able to find the best time for everyone. But people interface with their time as theirs. They don't want somebody to come in top down and say, hey, we're going to reorganize your schedule for you because we know better. In the early days, we were really trying to understand, do we try to go in and sell this directly to an organization or do we go after more of a product-led growth approach where it's probably freemium, where you acquire each user individually, they bring it into our organization. We focus on that PLG approach because we need to acquire and educate those users one by one, make them comfortable with the tool. And I start there because that was a lot of the exploration in the early days and getting the MVP. How do we deliver this thing? The underlying technological space is interesting as well, but was a little bit more of a defined problem space. So our tech stack, we use Java for services. They're not quite microservices, but we do have quite a few services that run everything from auth to crawling, etc. Those are then bundled together in a node web server uh, TypeScript that then serves those to the clients. And the clients today are Slack, a Chrome extension, our web app, and those are all built in TypeScript with React. We have been moving from Relay over to Apollo for the front end query system because that web server is a GraphQL server. 
So let's stick on the, the MVP for a second. And it's going to be, my, my question is going to be around decisions and trade-offs and, and how you went about approaching that MVP. It could be, you know, technical decisions, yes, and, and service design. I, I hear all of those things. Um, could be, you know, accepting technical debt or limiting what you're going to build. So talk to me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make in, in a little more detail and how you coped with those decisions. One of the biggest decisions that we made in getting to the MVP was to ship clockwise as a Chrome extension. And I'm actually a front-end engineer, and I love building fantastic product. I love building UIs. I love building great user experiences. And it pained me. <laughs> it pained me to reduce clockwise into a Chrome extension. It feels minimizing. It is minimizing in a lot of ways in that it limits the screen real estate because we kind of ship it in a sidebar alongside... But strategically, it was really critical to gain that adoption because we didn't want to create a calendar. We didn't want to ask users to transition off their existing calendar in order to use Clockwise. And there are tons of reasons here, but a large part of our initial audience is actually the audience for this podcast. It's software engineers, it's builders, it's designers, it's PMs. It's people who either are, are really intense calendar users, kind of on the, the management side or maybe the PM side, to very casual calendar users on kind of the individual contributor software engineer side. The switching cost on the intense users is very high if they're going to switch calendar. And the switching costs on the casual user are weird as well because they don't really care. They're not incentivized to go hunt for a new calendar. So we had kind of toyed with creating a new calendar because it would add a lot of benefits in terms of owning the UI, being able to do more creative things, but it added a lot of table stakes and a lot of friction, a lot of switching costs. Probably the most important decision on that MVP journey was let's ship it as a Chrome extension so we can augment the existing calendar. We're still dealing with those trade-offs today because Clockwise is a background utility. You get it set up, you get it up and running, we will deliver more time, better schedules for you, more or less automatically. Part of the power is that it can run that way. Uh, you can set it and kind of forget it. But the disadvantage is pretty obvious as well, which is you can forget it and we don't get an opportunity to interact with you. So we're still living in many ways with that early MVP choice. And I think it's the right choice strategically. It gets us the right to get in hundreds of thousands of people's calendar. But we also need to think creatively on an ongoing basis about how do we pull users back to the ex into the experience? How do we regain their attention? How do we regain their interaction? This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done, i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. This episode is supported by Treble. 
This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble, super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. Let's go forward. So you've got your MVP. It's it's working. How did you progress the product from there? And how did you mature it? And I think what I'm curious about is to put it in a box a little bit. What I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Clockwise. A lot of it does stem from that early realization that we have to be able to go in, win each user individually, that at least for the initial days, while we're unknown, untrusted, we need to go and acquire that user individually. And so when we think about writing for the the MVP, a lot of what we're looking at is, can we provide a single player experience that's compelling enough for a user to come and adopt us? And given that they're adopting a Chrome extension that kind of lives in the background, get them to use us for a long enough period of time that we can start to spread to their coworkers and colleagues. This creates a work stream kind of unto itself that has to be prioritized alongside of the product improvements that users are demanding and that we want to build strategically. Even from the very early days when we're getting started, with the MVP, we shipped out the Chrome extension and we were initially prioritizing and building was a lot around that single player experience. What can we provide that user to get them excited, to get them to see the value, to get them to a point of delight? And some of it is very much congruous with our core value. You know, some of it is around optimizing the time of meetings, around making that easier, around giving more options. But some of it is just nice things that users wanted that are not core to our core value of giving you a better schedule, but loosely fit in the bucket of we want to provide you with calendar automation. So some of those things look like automatic color coding. You know, we have, uh, when we crawl a user's calendars, we're categorizing meetings into about 16 different categories on the back end in order to provide that meat and potatoes optimization to understand how and when to use to move a meeting. And we saw, oh, we could actually surface this and use that same system to automatically color code meetings. And users like that. Not every user needs it, but users love to see that their external meetings are read. Slack sync came out of this and turns out to be a very core feature that we have, syncing status and syncing do not disturb. Personal calendar sync, we need access to your personal calendar so that you're not double booked, but it's also a great utility that people enjoy to be able to privately and securely sync their personal calendar works so they're not conflicted. That another work stream is making sure that it spreads. And now calendar itself is an inherently kind of viral service be- surface because you have all the attendees and all the meetings creating a network across the organization. And so we're looking at different ways that we could plug and play into that system to make it clear that one user is using Clockwise. One of the things that 
your audience may be familiar with if they're a Clockwise user or have colleagues is that we add a little emoji, kind of a sparkle emoji that's now part of our logo to events that we manage. I think people think this is a great growth hack because it's now kind of associated with Clockwise and people see it on their calendars. But it was initially related to educating users about what meetings might be optimized. So it gives them that visual indicator that, okay, this meeting is under Clockwise's management and maybe something that is optimized. But turns out it spreads a lot. To get to your question, it was about making sure that we could land the user, bring them in the product effectively, get them up and running, and then give the time so that we get it spread inside the organization and focusing on what are those features that have natural viral components to push out in the organization. And when we started to see that work is when we lifted the beta period and made a general availability for anybody to sign up. So then let's switch to team. To, I mean, to build all these amazing things, to execute on this, you have to have a world-class team. So how did you go about doing that? What did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? Myself and my co-founders, Gary Lairhop, Mike Grinnells, we were all three of us at Relate IQ to varying degrees technical. I'm the least technical of all of them, which is probably why I'm CEO. They just wanted to get me out of the code. <laughs> so we, and we knew that we had a fair amount that needed to be built in the early days, both to prove out the concept and also find our way to product market fit. So we looked to pull individuals that we'd worked with that we were really excited to work with again. And so we pulled out three teammates. Our first three hires were directly from that crew at the prior company. Two are software engineers, and one was kind of a jack-of-all-trades operations and GTM person. She had worked not only in sales, CS, marketing, but also product, and so had a very horizontal perspective. I brought her in tactically because we knew that we needed to have that jack-of-all-trades as we were doing various experiments, even prior to being a GA product. As we built the team, we wanted to be conscious of not creating a monoculture. It's, I do think it's best if you have the ability, and not everybody does, to pull from people that you've worked with in the past so that you know what you're bringing to the organization so that they know what they're buying into and that you can have that gelled high-velocity team in the early days. But then we were conscious that we didn't want to just be a bunch of the same people that had worked together and, and started to look beyond the walls of our prior employers to other areas. And there, we were successful in pulling people that had worked on prior calendar systems. There's a company called Timeful that had been acquired by Google, pulled an early engineer and designer out of that. It was a long while before we added anybody outside of engineering product design roles. We were a small kind of eight-person team for the first two years. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso. Welcome to the Data Edge. This episode was automatically optimized by CAST. 
If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. So let's switch to scalability then. So this will be interesting. Did you build this to scale efficiently from, from day one, that first version of the Chrome extension? Or have you been finding this as you grow in any sort of capacity? So I think every, at least every technical co-founder enters a new company thinking that they're going to clean up all the sins of their past. You know, you go into a company, either you built it or you join it when it's later on. You're like, oh man, there's all this cruft and debt and I wish we just built it this way from the get-go. And we had that attitude. And here I am six years later going, we messed up a bunch of stuff. <laughs> you know, you always, you always hope that you can correct it all, but you just, it's hard to see where the company's going to go. It's hard to see what's going to happen around the corner. And so... You also want to avoid pre premature optimization. To your question, Noah, we tried. We did try to see around those corners, but I think there are a lot of areas where we've had to re-engineer significant portions in order to keep up with the scale. The crawlers and how we pull in calendar information is, is a really big one. We always felt that there are inefficiencies and overhead that we could keep on reducing, frankly, the AWS bill as we put effort in. And that, that has been true, but there's some limiters on the scalability of some of the initial systems, especially when it comes to database. We knew that eventually we'd have to come up with a sharding approach or a more efficient system overall. And indeed, we had to put a fair amount of significant time and energy over the last couple of years in order to move off of some of that initial infrastructure. This is said with great humility because I thought I knew the answer, but I don't know what the right approach is in the early days of abstraction versus building for the specific use case. You know, when we started building this, we knew generally where we're going, but we weren't sure quite the details. And so the front end's obviously built, you know, to, for the core purpose, but, but the back end and a lot of kind of the optimization layer, crawling, et cetera, it's built with a lot of abstraction to make sure that we had optionality. And I'll say that like that optionality was really helpful for as we, we never fully pivoted, but we did change our approach in a lot of ways. And so as it helped us move relatively quickly in the early days, when we had a small number of engineers so that they understood all the abstraction, you know, in their own minds and could reason about it and change it on the fly. But as we grew, that level of abstraction really became a drag on us. As you added more and more cruft to it, and as we got more conviction around specifically the code paths that we utilized and what we really needed to do, you had just a lot of layers of cruft that were very difficult for people to reason about and very difficult for new engineers especially to get up and running on. And that that I think is a battle that is is always fought and it's difficult to really put a pin in what the right approach is. Okay, so Matt, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? 
everything the light touches is still relatively small. I mean, I'm very, very proud of what we built, but we're still early in our journey. There are billions of knowledge workers on the planet now, and we seek to help all of them. And we are helping AIDS, you know, portion that we're very proud of, but it's still early days. Now, that said, what I'm most proud of is the team that we built. Uh, the people that we pulled into this company are incredible. It just truly exceptional individuals. And I think there's also a fair amount of personal pride in that we've built it according to our values. We're very value-centric founders. We're a very value-centric company. And uh, it's interesting how the flags that you plant early in terms of your values and how much emphasis you put on them end up taking on their own form as you grow the team and company. And I think that today, the early efforts that we put in building that culture and value have yielded a team that really reflects that set of values and enhances it on a daily basis. And what I mean there is, you know, it's a group that is humble, that is authentic, collaborative, and really curious, really wants to learn how to do things in a new way, how to approach a problem in a new way, really wants to over look under every rock. And and that's not for every company. That can lead to inefficiency. That can lead to slower timelines. But I think that that curiosity for us is what we really need because we're defining a new market, a new product, and a new approach to time management. And so it's just been, it's just been really, really rewarding to see how that team has grown. And even the individuals who have left us and got on to do other things I keep up with them and I, I find it so interesting to see where they go. Some of them have started companies and I hope that for everyone that comes to Clockwise, they'll look back at it as a formative experience for them. So that would be that would be the number one. Okay, so let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We have made so many mistakes. We built Clockwise in a private beta period. It was completely free. And then we opened a GA when we saw that initial kind of loop working where we could acquire that user, bring them in, and it would spread virally. And we went GA at that moment because we thought, okay, this is a land grab. It's kind of working. Let's really push hard on it. We didn't put in any sort of monetization or payment mechanisms at that point. And I'm not just talking about like we didn't ask people to pay. We didn't even have the underlying structure for it. You know, we'd built systems like this before. I think there was a little bit of hubris. It's like we're in a layered on later, no problem. Fast forward almost two years after that launch, we had been pushing out pricing and packaging, we were pushing out monetization, and we, we finally got it out. And the initial version in retrospect was just wrong. It was a mistake. It was highly, I mean, we had a scale of revenue acquisition that was fantastic and really exciting. But we had built it in a way that was really good at capturing organizations when they had already scaled. So we had this user base of users that had come in, started to use it, they'd use it for free for a very long time. And we were really scared that they would be up in arms. That actually didn't happen that much. I think people have an expectation that software in a business environment is eventually going to be monetized. Uh, we got a little bit in space, but that wasn't the big problem. And we were, you know, I probably spent too many nights worrying about it. When we turned on monetization, the problem was we were really good at capturing this, the large organizations that already scaled, and we didn't pay attention as much to the new organizations that we were acquiring with paywalls. So if you had grown and scaled and started to love clockwise and gotten into your culture, paying at that moment was like, okay, yeah, sure, take my money, which was great. 
but we were so excited by that revenue. We were so confident in the approach that we failed to catch some of the dynamics that were happening on the hood for those new users that were coming in into this new regime of how the product could be utilized as free before monetized. And that user base was just way less successful than the previous user base in a variety of ways. It took us too long to realize that, and then we re-engineered the paywalls monetization, the rest is history. It took a while to both build out the infrastructure to support the paywalls and then build them again in a way that would actually support those new users, figure out the dynamics. I mean, a lot of cycles spent on that, and I don't think we're done there yet. Okay, this will be fun. What does the future look like for the product and for your team? We are so excited over here. So we just announced Clockwise AI. Uh, We announced it yesterday. And uh, what Clockwise AI is, is it's really a rethinking of Clockwise overall. But for this initial release, we are adding the ability to talk directly to Clockwise in chat. And now, I don't think that chat is the be-all, end-all for calendar interface. You don't always want to chat with your calendar. However, the breakthroughs in LLMs, and not just the NLP side of it, but also some of the generative side of it and the temporal reasoning in GPT-4, has allowed us to really unlock an experience that is closer to having a true virtual assistant. We always shied away at Clockwise from labeling ourselves an assistant because there's a whole batch of those back when we started the company in the mid-2000s, X.AI, Clarid Labs, and no shade on those teams, wonderful teams, but it just was, the technology wasn't there and they were bad experiences. And so we didn't want to over-promise under-deliver. But now I think the technology is there and some of what we can do, both in terms of delivering a existent for everybody in the organization, but also the complex level of scheduling tasks that we can handle if you just simply ask for them. It's, it is truly exciting and we're just at the start of the journey. So I think, you know, and this is not, you know, my answer here previously, I probably would have looked out to a five-year, 10-year time horizon. I'm happy to do that. But I think just in the next year, we are going to see a evolution of clockwise that will feel like a breakthrough. You will be able to quickly access anything related to your calendar, time management, be able to take action on it, be able to get proactive information about when things are broken, and be able to handle truly impossible scheduling tasks with ease. Things like, hey, it's 11 a.m. I just realized I need to meet with my VP of sales, my VP of marketing, because this is an emergency. Those are two of the most busiest people inside the company. I previously would have had to spend a half hour with my EA finding the right time, shoot it off to clockwise, and we will figure it out, figure out the conflicts, figure out what needs to happen, figure out how to move the meetings, figure out who to, who to send a message to and make it happen. And uh, I've just... The future right now is just incredibly exciting, partially because the unlock of these LLMs is being able to easily converse in human terms instead of fiddling with a bunch of knobs, dials, UI, and other abstractions that add a lot of cognitive overhead. Matt, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I've been fortunate to know a lot of great folks both in the tech community but also outside of it one of the one of the people that really influences me is a guy named Steve Laughlin and he is an investor now at Excel but he was the CEO of Relate IQ 
And I think that Steve has a really incredible knack for seeing the big picture. Um, he's always keeping an eye on where things need to go and how to aggressively move there. And he's much better, much better than I am, about not getting bogged down in the details, about being able to make sure that the dots are connecting, that the strategy is right, and that people are deployed in a way that it gives them clear in clear understanding of the CEO's intent on what needs to happen, but gives them the means and ability to to go after that goal themselves. And so uh, I think about Steve because I, I want to operate at that at that level, be able to operate, give people autonomy, be able to clearly state intent, but also see the forest instead of the trees all the time. And then another individual that I, I think about a lot is a guy named Bob Cohn. Bob is uh, a seasoned technology expert and executive. He built a company that was actually the first to kind of bring to market voicemail machines. So these were computerized voicemail machines that would actually be installed on site at places and increasingly as technology emergent central nodes. Uh, actually, visual voicemail on the iPhone is kind of a precursor techno- technology that he led the way with at Lucent. But Bob is just, he is a engineer by background, but he is a CEO by expertise. And he knows how to run a company, everything from the early days up to 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 people. And I think what I take from Bob is having real humility and real empathy for everybody inside the organization while keeping a clear eye on what needs to be accomplished. And I mention that because I think it's really easy for leaders to steer too much in either direction. Uh, and, and, and by the way, leadership is very personal. I don't think there's a one size fit all, fits all. You have to lean in your strengths. And so I won't make any side comments on, you know, Elon Musk or the Travis Kalanakis of the world, or, or maybe a better example who I truly admire is Andy Grove. Very hard driving, very, uh, I won't say unempathetic always, but very, very hard driving, no BS, let's make it happen. I think that's one end of the spectrum, and that's often a chest thumping version that founders look to. And it's, you know, that might work for some folks, but I have found that for me, you really need to balance that with empathy and understanding for what do the members of your team need? Who are they as humans? What do you need to amplify? What do you need to help them progress? And I think holding those two poles in your head at once, how to hard drive, how to orient towards goals, how to make sure people have what they need, but also making sure you understand the full human and understand what their goals are personally and where they need to go. I can always be better there. And I look to Bob for inspiration for that because he's quite good at it. Okay, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? I would pair back a piece of advice that I got from a founder that I got in almost this exact same scenario. We were I still remember it. We were sitting in a bar in San Francisco. He was kind enough to meet me. His company at the time was doing quite well. And uh, I asked him for advice on how to go forward. It was in the early days that clockwise, like him as a CEO, what does he learn? What does he do? And he'd said something that really sticks with me, which is make sure to manage the amplitude of the waves. Now, it's kind of a, a nerdy way that resonates with me of saying, 
you've got to manage your psychology. And his point is that if, if you imagine a boat out at sea and you, you are able to influence the amplitude of the waves in front of you, the difference in distance traveled with really big waves, with really huge up and downs versus calm waters is huge. It's a significant difference. And I think is the same can be said of the of the founding journey in a lot of ways. There are really big ups and downs, really big ups and downs. You're going to be faced with things that are, are, are more exciting and more rewarding than almost anything else in your life. You're going to be faced with setbacks that make you question yourself at a very deeply personal level. And being aware of that, being able to observe it, being able to manage the amplitude, you know, how high are the highs, how low are the lows? It helps you run the distance. It helps you make sure that you can go through all this, maintain, not burn out, not flame out, but also be a better leader for your company. And so I would talk about that with the individual saying, look, you've got a bright future in front of you. This is going to be a hell of a journey. I am so excited for you. Let me tell you about your personal psychology and some tools that you can use to better matters that. Oh, I think that's fantastic. Well, Matt, thank you for being on the show today. And thank you for telling the creation story of Clockwise. Thanks so much for having me. It's really fun. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.